Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We, um, we thank you for the community that we have in Christ. We thank you for the church that we are a part of, that we, um, we are included in as, as believers in Christ. And uh, Lord, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Um, and, and at this time, we have Mara, who is a new widow, and uh, going through the loss of her husband and and seeing her example of worshiping you through this journey, Lord, she's going to have things that she is going to need help with and uh, the adjustment of life without her husband. And so, Father, we lift her up to you. We, um, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to become aware of any needs, um, help us to be a body that truly, genuinely um, desires to help her in a substantial way that we would actually be there more than just lip service. And so, Father, we, um, we just uh, we stand ready to help her, and we ask that you would guide her and direct her through this, this season of transition. We pray especially uh, for this upcoming week as lots of family will be coming and, and um, just gathering. So we pray for them as a family uh, that you would use Mara um, to be a light for Christ, and, and Lord, that you uh, would comfort this family. We pray especially for those that don't know you, uh, that you would use this time to encourage them in, uh, in understanding who you are and that they would draw close to you and find comfort in you. And Father, as we uh, <clears throat> continue worshiping you through the studying of your word, Lord, we ask um, that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of this passage. Uh, we ask that you would help us to understand what was said in context and how it applies to us this day. We pray, Lord, ultimately through our studying of your word that you would grow us closer to you, that you would, uh, in areas that we're drifting or areas that we're lacking in faith and areas that we lack in understanding of things that you desire us to know, we ask that you would guide us as a people. Um, help us to understand who you are. Uh, help us to understand all that you've done for us. Um, grow our love for you. Uh, help us to worship you with all that we are. Guard us from drifting away uh, from your truth, and uh, we need your protection, Lord. There, there are so many pools in this world uh, sucking us away from you. And so, Lord, we turn to you now. We ask that you would give us minds that are focused upon your word, hearts that are soft uh, to your spirits, uh, leading. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. <clears throat> For everything created by God is good, 
and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have uh, to study it. We ask, that you, we ask you that our time would be fruitful and meaningful in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so the very first word that we encounter in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is this word, but. But is a, a, a word that should trigger pause, should tr- trigger some sort of consideration. Um, we, we, don't, we, don't read, um, we don't read the scripture sort of in a vacuum detached from the context. We have to, to see it in its whole to see what's happening. And so when we see this but, it's sort of like this speed bump to trigger. There's a, something different or something uh, in counterbalance. It, we, we, it should grab our attention. And in this case, we go back to really verses 14 through 16 of the previous chapter where Paul, as he's writing... He says, in case I'm delayed to you, the reason I'm writing is um, I I want you to know how the household of God should conduct themselves uh, or or how one should conduct themselves within the household of God. Then he describes the household of God as the church of the living God. He then says that the church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. He says, by common confession. And then he uh, lists this either doxology, this hymn, this poem, uh, a confession by the early church um, that contained core doctrine, the the jugular vein of Christianity, which we looked at last week. He says this, um, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And he lists the incarnation. He says, he who uh, was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, speaking of the resurrection of Christ, seen by angels, proclaimed amongst the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He describes the gospel. This is the common confession of the early church, and this, this is what we cling to. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. This word fall away is a word uh, where we get the Greek word apostasy from. Uh, it's a transliteration of a Greek word. It means to fall away. Earlier this week, I think it was this week, my, the last couple of weeks are a total blur for me, but a space shuttle or rocket or something launched into space from Florida. Was it this week or was that two weeks ago? <clears throat> what? This week was California. I saw Florida. And so I was somewhere and there was a TV on and it's like the whole countdown and all. And it's like, oh, what's happening? Like, oh, that's a rocket or something's about to launch. And then I caught it right at the, where it basically took off. And then there, I remember there was like a ticker of like the meters and space, the speed, and, and it was like, seemed like a split second. For, I mean, it was probably 60 seconds from the time it was on the ground to like it was in outer space. And at some point, I, I could think I could hear the speaker because I could hear the guy going, uh, you know, parts that fall off. I forget what you call the, you know, something. There's a f- <laughs> boosters. Thank you. Last service, I confessed that I was not a rocket scientist. So I'm just like, I'm just a guy watching like, wow, look at that. 
And it's like, we anticipate in 15 seconds the boosters are going to fall off or whatever. And then you see the, and the things kind of like go away. And that's the image that I've had reading this. And the Spirit says in later times, some will fall away from the faith. That there are those who were at one time amongst us, who worshiped with us, who gathered, who by all appearances, they were worshipers of Christ. But the Spirit says in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Three weeks ago, I had, my mind doesn't even know how to process the information, but in my life going back about 15 or 16 years ago, um, there were a group of us, there were four guys that were all very fired up about the Lord. And we met every week. We prayed with one another. We, there was a number of questions um, that were hard questions to answer that examined how we were doing sort of uh, as men um, questioning areas that there are common failures that guys don't want to talk about. I, remember, I don't remember all the questions. I do remember the last question. The last question was the hardest question. The last question was, are you lying to me? <laughs> because we knew that we'd be like, oh, yeah, we're doing great. I'm, str- I'm not struggling here. I'm doing, are you lying? <laughs> yeah, well, let's get real here. And so we were all very passionate, and one of the guys was single, and he wanted nothing more than to find a wife good thing. He, his qualifications were this woman that he would meet would, um, that she had to have a heart for overseas work because he was committed to going overseas, to sharing his faith with others, that he was committed to going, I think to China was where he initially wanted. And so, um, I mean, zealous, he was a, a linguist and, and, uh, finally committed himself to going with um, OMF. Um, and, and he went overseas for a while, came back. And during that time of coming back, he found this girl who was a missionary in uh, northern Thailand. And so they eventually, their, their whole relationship was founded upon being committed to, to the global work of Christ through missions. And so I ended up being the best man in his wedding. When you know, I tell the story of, of the first time I learned about this church, we wanted to drive by. I was going to his wedding as the best man when we made the pit stop to Sea Valley Center. And, um, and so they went overseas. They served for many, re- for many years over in Thailand and, and, and had to come back for health reasons. And he's been sort of in Colorado this is a guy that was zealous. And three weeks ago on Facebook, I see this, this post. And I start reading it, and I thought it was one of those gotcha, you know, the whole, like I start reading, and it's like, but I'm reading the first couple sentences. I'm like, this is going to be one of those, like, read all the way to the end and just wrote, I read it kind of thing to show me how much you love me kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't play those games. <laughs> but I kept reading, I'm like, where's the punchline? And it started with, he's like, hey, about a year ago I had this and I need to let all my friends know. And his, this, this very long post at the end of it was a year ago I decided to renounce my faith in Christ and I'm no longer walking. And it was like, it was like I got kicked in the stomach. 
And I suddenly had all these flashbacks. Oh, man, I remember being in the back room at the church before they were getting married. And the, like, I didn't do, the, he was at a Chinese-speaking church. And, 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 and I was in the back room. I ended up being the best man not doing the, the, the wedding. And then the guy, like, like, all of these charges to, like, hey, the best men and the groomsmen, you guys are accountable and, and keep everybody on track. Like, all of this stuff started flooding my mind of, like, I'm like, what do I do? So I'm like, I'm not even going to post anything on Facebook. I shoot him a text. I said, James, I just read this, and I, I don't even know what to say, but I want to say something, but I don't want to, like, go, like, you know, like, hey, have you read the case for Christ? Like, I, like he's a thoughtful guy. Like, I'm not going to insult him with, but I'm like, I don't even know what to say to you, but in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to call you. And, but I don't even know what I'm going to say. But I'm going to be praying for you. And, but, but, but the whole thing, it, it's like, when I read this, but the Spirit explicitly says in later times, some will fall away from the faith. I, I couldn't read this verse at a more appropriate time. And two things have sort of surfaced. I, I think the first is, I think Paul's writing Timothy saying this, is, this, is, this will happen, so don't be surprised when it happens. Um, it's painful when it happens. Um, there's a lot of questions. You know, I, I, I've been wrestling with like, man, was James saved? That's one question. I say, hey, 20 years? I mean, yeah, I'm rounding up, but it's like, 20 years of this guy who loved the Lord, who I prayed with, who I knew his heart. Like, this is a man who loved the Lord. Then the next question is like, can he be re- renouncing Christ but still be a Christian and he just doesn't even know it? Like, you know, like a kid who's angry with his parents and I'm no longer your kid. Oh, sorry, kid, you're my kid. <laughs> this hasn't happened to me. I'm just kind of... But, but there's questions. Going from being a Navy SEAL to being a pastor, there are things that, like, being a Navy SEAL was so much simpler and easier in a lot of ways. Like, I don't say, I don't say this joke, like, like, it was, it was simple. I never anticipated the, the, the burden of being a pastor, the, the, the pain of people who fall away, people that were here. And not people like, oh, I got to move away. Uh, I lost my job, I'm moving away, and I'm going to go get plugged into another church. Like, that's not, like, it's I mean, it's sad because we like people and they're friends and they move away and there's a sadness there. But the people who were amongst us, that walked with us, that no longer are with us, there's a weight that just is hard. And so when I read this, I see Paul kind of telling Timothy, like, listen, Timothy, there are people that are going to fall away. Don't let it surprise you. Don't, don't blame yourself. So don't be surprised. The second thing I, I see in reading this is, 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 is there's, there's, a, there's a warning. Whenever I see these warnings, Johnny Cash comes to my mind, and I don't know if that's heresy, but I... When I hear the warnings in scriptures, all I hear is I walk the line in my head, you know, I, I, to, to keep a close eye on this heart of mine. Or the hymn, Lord, I, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And there's this, there's this drawing away. And I, I totally believe in the doctrine of the security of salvation, that if you're saved, you're secure in the hands of the Father. Like, I believe that. But then there are warning passages 
like Hebrews 6.6 6 that, that talk about, we just went through, there, like there's warnings, and I don't think these warnings are just fiction, like just to make, like there are sincere warnings to the followers of Christ. Watch yourself. Watch your heart. Hebrews 3.7, he writes, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There's so much stuff pulling us away. So when I read this, but the Spirit explicitly says in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Number one, don't be surprised when it happens. Number two, keep a close watch of yourself and your relationship with Christ because you're not better than those who have fallen. And we need, our, our flesh is so strong, the world, there's so many things pulling us away that we need to be disciplined about cultivating our relationship with Christ. He goes on and it gets worse. He says, uh, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. This is like those, I don't know if you guys read the Frank Preddy books, uh, the, this present darkness. And, and, and the guy has such a way with words to describe this realm that's all around us that we don't see. The New Testament over and over and over again paints this picture that there is a spiritual war happening amongst us. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, which Paul is writing Timothy, who's in Ephesus. Paul also wrote a letter to Ephesus, which we have the letter Ephesians from. Um, It's actually the city where Paul spent the most time of his whole ministry. Paul, this guy who traveled everywhere, he spends three years in Ephesus. And he writes in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so he says that, that, that beyond what we can see, there's a war happening between God and the demons. And we've been sort of pro- projected into this fight, whether you realize it or not, and whatever side you're on. If you're a follower of Christ or you're not a follower of Christ, there's a spiritual realm and there's a battle happening. And he's making the case that this, 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 this drifting away and the things that are pulling away, it's not going to look like some little angry guy with horns on his head and really bad teeth and like, oh, that's really bad, I need to stay away. It's going to come from a guy in a suit that's with really good speech and clever and witty and smart. It's going to come through distractions. Maybe not even religious. I look at our day and age and there's so many things that are pulling us away. And he's saying that on the surface these things don't look bad. But don't be surprised. There's demonic activity happening under the surface in a nice, pretty external display that is vying for your time, is vying for your heart, and it will if not kept in check, will cause you to fall away. He says, by means, now he's going to get into the, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, he's going to list a couple of things, like practically in their day. But we see hypocrisy of liars. Um, people who are led away, it's, it's normally by very, it, it, it seems innocuous, innocent. 
And I think that there's a, a, a warning to followers of Christ to know the word of God. Because as we know the word of God, we become sensitive in our consciences, wherever your conscience is in your body. I'm not a doctor, but I know it's there somewhere inside of me because I feel it all the time. That your conscience is a tool that God has given that can either be used for good or for bad. And in this case, he's saying these people who are being led away through the doctrine of demons, this demonic activity, part of the problem is, is that in their consciences, their consciences have been seared or cauterized as with a branding iron. Uh, you can see like the picture of a cattle when they brand a cattle and it sears and it kills the nerve endings and the sensitivity. I, uh, I remember as a kid, I used to get bloody noses. I hated it. I, hated it. It was like from kindergarten, if that's how you say kindergarten. Everybody makes fun of me for how I say kindergarten. I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but I say it kindergarten. <laughs> Everybody who's cor- corrected me has gotten into my head, so I have no idea how you're supposed to say kindergarten, but it's, you know, when you're six years old, you go to school. It's kindergarten. <clears throat> I would get these bloody noses. I would take a nap, and I would wake up, and my, my pillow would just be covered in blood. And it happened, and it happened. And I'm sure we went to the doctor, or maybe we didn't. Um, but it eventually got to the point where one of my parents, you know, they were divorced, and I was between houses. And, and, and eventually, I was down in San Diego, and my dad said, um, I need to take you to the doctor. And then the doctor said, I need to take you to ENT, the ear, nose, and throat, or whatever. So I went over to that guy, and that guy said, oh, we need to cauterize it. And if he just said that, I probably would have been okay. But then he described what cauterizing was. <laughs> but probably not a smart idea for a young boy. I handed it way better than the eye doctor with the, uh, that's a different story. I'm going to stay focused here. <clears throat> but he said, we're going to, with a stick, I'm going to reach up and I'm going to put some acid into your nose and it's going to burn away the spot and it'll stop the bleeding. And so we did it and the bleeding went away. And, but what I understood is way up there where it couldn't heal he put the acid on there, it cauterized it. It, it, it stopped the bleeding because it became whatever. And so that's the image that comes to my mind when he talks about the conscience. He'd be, be careful with your conscience because you can damage it. A man, Douglas Buford, he shares an illustration about this. And I, in reading this, I really, I don't know why we allow people under 30 to drive. But he makes a brilliant illustration from his life uh, describing the conscience and how we ought to be careful with it. He writes, During my college years, in my infinite wisdom, it occurred to me that it made no sense to stop at a red traffic light when there was clearly no traffic around. So I began to stop only briefly, just long enough to check for cars and then proceed. My stops became shorter and shorter, and eventually I no longer stopped at all. I simply checked out the landscape well in advance, and if no cars were coming, I proceeded full speed through the red light. One day something changed all of that, and I've never run a red light since. I was approaching an isolated light in an area where there was rarely traffic in the busiest of times. I had already checked out the landscape and was near the empty intersection when a car topped 
the hill to my left. It was too far away to pose any threat, but it did pose a problem. It was a police car. But that is not what changed my ways because I, I got the car stopped and received no more punishment than a dirty glance. What scared me enough to put an end to the practice was what occurred in the split seconds between spotting the patrol car and getting the car stopped. In that instant, my foot moved from the gas pedal to the brake pedal and then back to the gas pedal. I did not will it to do that. My foot just did it. My foot did that because that is how I trained my mind to respond. I had continually ignored what once had been a clear signal to stop, a red light, and as a result, that signal was no longer clear. The same occurs with sin. Our God-given conscience gives us warning signals, and we can heed those signs or ignore them. If we ignore them often enough, we may eventually fail to recognize them as signals as all, at all. It felt like that was an excellent illustration to, to show and demonstrate the importance of our consciences. Um, our consciences are, are not really our guide. We have to be cautious with them. Um, I, I want to take a, like probably a good example to, to, to demonstrate or to explain so for those who are religious, I've encountered people that have been sort of, I don't want to say hyper-religious, but more on the, um, beyond what the word says, um, to where they, in their mind, have a difficult time doing certain things that the scriptures don't say, that's not wrong. Like, you, there's freedom for you to do fill in the blank. But for whatever reason, due to background, being raised, you don't have that freedom. Um, you don't have that freedom to, to go past that voice. And, and I would say that for those of us that are trying to help people, we should never force somebody past their conscience. So if, if, if a conscience is telling an individual that this is wrong, but they have freedom beyond that. You shouldn't say, just ignore that feeling and press through that. And the, the reason is because our consciences are a gift. And, and the better way to help a person through that is to point them to the word of God. Show them where there's freedom. Show them where they're not in a certain bondage. Allow God to realign their conscience with things that he's revealed so that they learn to honor their conscience. They, they, they don't get used to going against it. Because I think the practice of going against what God has put into us to say, hey, that's wrong, don't do that. You ignore that enough times, you begin to cauterize it so you're no longer sensitive to it. Um, our consciences can adjust as we spend time in the word of God, as we uh, read his word, as we pray, as we grow in our relationship with him. Um, we can see changes. I think a good example where I've seen this most is um, movies. So my lovely bride is back there. She grew up in another context than myself. I, I, the list is long about how our childhoods were different. But the easiest one is she grew up in Spain. And so because she grew up in Spain, she missed 
a lot of the awe and wonder of American culture from the late 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. Not, not because, you know, not because of religious reasons, just because she was in Spain and they didn't really care about that stuff. And so she didn't. And so when we got married, I felt like I had a moral obligation to equip her on the 80s and to show her all of the beauty and wonder of everything that existed back then. And so my opportunity, one of my opportunities, presented itself when she was sick, probably like in 2004. She was sick. She's like, Gunner, can you get me a couple movies to go watch? <laughs> oh, yes, honey. <laughs> so and I know she's got parameters on me, and I'm like, okay, I gotta, like, I'll get a clean movie, and I'll get one without any like crass humor and uh, no slapstick. And so I'm in there, and I see... Back to the Future, all three of them. And I think those are great movies. I mean, great storyline. You guys are all laughing. I don't know if you're laughing at me or with me, but I like, in my mind, those were ah, clever little story, you know? And so I bring them back, and she starts watching, and I start noticing, it's like every other word is the F word. And I'm like, it's rated PG, but 80s PG is different than PG now. And it's like, she's watching, she's like, well, it's a really clever storyline, but man, the profanity. I'm like, I don't don't remember the profanity. But I think my point is that as I walk with Christ, and where I see it most in movies, and it's backfired on me, I can't tell you how many times, I say, honey, I got a movie for us to watch. This was one of my favorites. And I put it in and I watch it now. I'm like, this is horrible. Like, this is terrible. Like, I can't believe this didn't trouble me back then. And I think because my conscience was different. My conscience was seared. My conscience was different. And the hope is that over the years, like, as I've walked with Christ, my conscience has been realigned. So maybe your conscience is seared. The point of this is be cautious with other people's consciences. And have hope that your conscience can be aligned with the word of God's. And the beauty of the conscience is that this is a tool which God uses to help us um, walk with him. And I would encourage you, if you're going down a path and you get this, this just isn't right. Learn to heed that voice and say, I'm going to go this way. Because it's a dangerous thing when you say, this just doesn't feel right. And then you take that step through it. Because the next time, it's easy to take that step through it. And then eventually what happens is you don't even feel that voice, that, that conviction within you saying, stop, 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 stop. Back to the text. By means of hypocrisy, of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. So we have these people who are falling away. We're told that these people who are falling away are falling away because they're following these, these, these liars who are hypocrites, who their consciences have been seared. They have no connection with God. And we see two specific things that they're forbidding that followers of God are beginning to adopt and follow after them, thinking that they're being spiritually minded. There's marriage and there's food. And the warning here is the belief, this is the early 
form of Gnosticism, which is the belief that all material is evil. If you can touch it, it's evil. Only in the spirit realm is where true holiness exists. And so from this concept, everything fleshly, like literally fleshly, is bad. And ultimately, the thought led to that Jesus was not really human. And if he was human, then he was evil. And so only in the spirit form. And so any sort of uh, human desires was viewed as being unholy. And so marriage, because there's a flesh connection, this is evil. So abstain from that. Food, evil, abstain from it, or certain kinds of food, limit it. Only take the bare minimum. And what they were attempting to do was to gain holiness through abstention or abstaining from certain things. And so Paul says these men are forbidding these two things which should be gratefully shared. Thankfulness. And so somehow, and I don't know that I have it all figured out in my mind or maybe it just doesn't make sense to me because it's too simple. As we work through the rest of this passage, we'll see that the, the warning and the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy is that to guard against this falling away, this guarding against being led astray, there's a connection to gratitude, to thankfulness. So somehow by keeping our eyes on God and being grateful to him, it guards us from getting off course. It's a beautiful, it's almost relief. Like how, how can that be? Gratefully shared. So giving thanks to God for your food. And I don't think this is like the, the token prayer, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and let's move on. Like this is like a, see the thing is we're so wealthy and we have so much that we just eat. And it, it, the, we are in, the poorest person in America is in the wealthiest 1% of human history. We have so much. But you go to a place where there's people who are starving when you come to your food, there's like a thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing this meal for us to enjoy with one another. And in marriage, how would marriages be different if a husband just devoted himself to being grateful for his wife or a wife being grateful for her husband? tell you pre like not even premarital marital counseling is it just gets old because people show up and all they want to do is give me the laundry list of how they're mad or upset of their spouse and i'm convinced that our marriages would be radically transformed if all we did was focused on giving god thanks for our spouses and this is this is one of the lessons that mara like that this this rekindling this week between Wednesday and Thursday, two significant days for me. That showing up at the hospital this Wednesday at 12 o'clock, leaving about 4.30, Pat breathed his last breath at 3.30 p.m. In that window from noon until his last breath, I sat there and I witnessed Mara say goodbye to her best friend. She didn't know what I was preaching. And I've asked her permission to share all of this, so I'm not like. But to see this lady over her husband just praising God 
thank you, Lord, for allowing me to have this time with this most wonderful man. She said, Pat, I'm so thankful for you. You're the greatest man I've ever met. And she said this over and over and over again. And I don't remember if it was before he passed or after he passed, but one of his kids had called and, and they clearly were like, Mara, what can we do? And she's like, guys, there's nothing you can do. She's like, the one thing that I want you to do is just thank God for this wonderful man that you had the privilege of knowing. These guys are trying to say that marriage is bad, food is bad. Paul says, no, these are things that God created that should be received with gratitude. He says, for everything, verse 4, has been created by God and is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it was received with, there's a word, gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and by prayer. The thing that has been jumping out at me at this whole passage is God's goodness. Skip ahead with me. Let's go over to chapter 6. Like look, at, like, look at chapter 6, verse 17. <clears throat> at the very end, there's literally about four or five verses left in, the, in this letter to Timothy. One of the last things he says to Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's all of us. And don't worry, this isn't going to go where you think. This isn't like a bat, like wealth is nothing. It's inert. It's Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. It says, those who are rich, tell them not to keep their eyes on their stuff. Keep their eyes on God, but he's not done. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Circle, star, highlight those last two words. God is a good God. Amen? The Bible tells us that God gives us stuff to what? Enjoy. One of the things that Mara said to me, she's like, I just don't get it. Christians these days, they're like, they're supposed to be joy. I'm sitting here supposed to be counseling her or encouraging her in the loss of her spouse, and she's like preaching at me. Christians need joy. Praise the Lord, he's so good. Pat's gone, but I had 10 years with them. Praise the Lord, he's so good. I have so much to be thankful for. And like, Mara, I should have given her the pulpit, like, He says that God gives you all this stuff to enjoy. And I always think of Charles Swindoll who says Christians walk around like they've been baptized in lemon juice. (laughs) Like God has given gifts to us to bless us, to, to give us joy in this life. And I think that we need to practice this. And I think gratitude helps recondition our thinking to, to create joy. And, and I keep wondering, how would, my, how would my week go this week? And I haven't like committed to it because I don't trust myself. Well, trust myself. I, I, I know, like, I don't want to make some vow, like, of fasting that I can't keep, but... I wonder how my life would be different this week if I refused to ask God for anything but to commit to only giving thanks to God for the whole week 
So in the argument that happens in my head, well, how would I do this? Like, how could I possibly do this? There are people I know who are dying of cancer. There are people I know who have significant problems. But what would it look like if I woke up in the morning and I just said, thank you, God, for this breath. Thank you, God, for this bed that I'm in. Thank you, God, for this wife that's next to me. I'm the early bird, so she's always, I mean, it's, she's always there when I wake up. Like, she's not always there when I go to sleep because I'm in bed super early. Thank you, God, for my friend who's dying of cancer. Thank you, God, for giving them that cancer that they would be turning to you during this time. Thank you for my friend who's married to her. Like, what would that look like? And I say, I can't, because I know, I know myself. I won't make it to the end of the day. But I say, Lord, help me with this. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. But I'm convinced that at the heart of this passage, Paul is encouraging Timothy to teach the body of Christ gratitude. Let's look at verse 6. He says, in pointing these things to the brethren. Well, what things? In the immediate context. Now, he's going to list some other things like next week. But, but so far, in, he's, in pointing these things to the brethren, what things? Well, first he's given the word and some will fall away. It's like a given. Like some, will be, some are going to fall away. And in the midst of that, he says that gratitude is the key. That gratitude, as you go to the word of God, as you go to prayer, somehow this is the antidote for keeping us on track with him. He says, you will be a good servant of Christ if you're constantly nourished on the words of faith and on the sound doctrine which you have been following. He's devoted to sound doctrine. He's devoted to being nourished. Uh, this word, food, I, I think of a good meal to be nourished by it. He relates that to the word of God, to nourish your soul, to, to commune with God through prayer and, and in taking the word that he has given to us. And I think that as we take this in, we're confronted with the reality of who God is and what God has done on our behalf. We're confronted with everything we have. It's a gift from God. And as we look at him, what should flow from us is thankfulness. I don't understand it. It seems too simple. I think we like to complicate things. But I want to encourage you this week to, to practice being grateful. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being good to us. Father, it's so easy for us to um, to look at this world and to get distracted, to, to get pulled away. And There are so many things within us, our flesh, and those things outside, whether um, 
its teachings or its simply entertainment in our culture and activity and there are so many things that seem so innocent but your word points out to us that there's this spiritual battle happening in our midst that we don't see and so Lord we are prone to wander we're We're prone to drift. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to see you for who you are, a good God. Your word tells us that you provide for us, that you give us things like marriage and food and provision for us to enjoy. So, Lord, it's hard um, to be so blessed as we are at this uh, time in history. We all are wealthy. We all are rich. Everyone in our nation is, is wealthy by human standards. And so, Lord, it's so easy to take our eyes off of the giver and to place them on the gift. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes up on you. And that as we see you for the God that you are, we ask, Lord, that gratitude would flow from deep within us. Lord, help us to be a grateful people. Keep us close to you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.